Well, again, good morning to you all. I told a close family member this week that I was going to preach a political sermon today, and with a look of horror, they said, why would you do such a thing? And I've wondered that myself all week um, in some ways, and yet this is kind of the gift of the lectionary, which is we do not sit here as leaders in the church week by week and say, I think it's a good time to talk about this or to talk about that, or to conveniently avoid this or that topic. Um, But when we are uh, assigned a text, as we often say, when the scriptures come to us, we then sit with them and say, um, Lord, how are you speaking and guiding us as your people? And it's always uh, fascinating to me. It should come as no surprise, but it's always remarkable to see the ways in which these readings tie into the moments in which we find ourselves uh, in this world. And today is no different. Uh, just a few uh, days away from an election, which you may have heard about. There's an election coming up. You may have seen it in the news once or twice. Uh, we have these words, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. And I would be the first to say, I've said this before, in and of myself, I don't particularly care for American politics, um, especially when it's a form of entertainment. There's other ways to entertain yourself that I think are far more uh, interesting. Um, I I don't care for it in the way that I don't particularly care for golf or for tennis. Um, I care for soccer. Uh, And if you want to get on the bandwagon, Everton Football Club is the very top of the English Premier League right now, and there is plenty of room on the bandwagon, so please join me. Um, That is what I do for entertainment. I have a cup of tea and I watch Everton usually lose for years and years, but uh, nowadays winning and kind of solidifying in the process every Anglican stereotype that exists of myself. Um, And I say that to say increasingly it feels that we are watching a form of entertainment. It feels like reality TV sometimes, and you don't know what's true and what's real and what's scripted. Uh, The script writers are doing a remarkable job keeping our attention because we are all captivated, it seems, in this moment by the political drama that is unfolding before us. We can't look away, and that is precisely the problem. If you could sum up what I have to say today, I think that's it. That when you are only looking in one direction, when I look at all of you, I cannot possibly see anything behind me. And it seems as though we are in a moment in which we are consumed and absorbed singularly in one direction, so much so that it's very hard for us to see anything else. And if I could be so bold, I think we as the church might be wise to begin with repentance, to repent of the countless ways in which we have spent hours and hours and hours absorbed by the events of our nation and yet have failed to even come close to spending a similar amount of time with our Lord in his word and in prayer, worshiping with his people in the church. And I think the only way we justify such behavior, and I don't want to speak for yourself, that may not be true of you, but I have a hunch that it is. I have a hunch when you add to an election year the fact that 2020 is one of the most remarkable we've ever seen, it is likely we have been distracted and scattered and our attention has been in many different directions. And yet it's very hard to say with real sincerity of heart that our, our attentiveness has been on the Lord and on the Spirit's guiding of us as his people. And so we need to begin with repentance and say, God, have mercy on us for the ways in which we have failed to look in the right direction. And I think the only way that we justify that kind of behavior, the only way we say that this is an okay thing for us to do as Christians is if we conflate our kingdoms. If we somehow say 
that the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we do this, especially as Americans. And this is tricky in our country because there's much about our heritage, much about our culture that is to be celebrated and to give thanks to God for. And yet I think we do ourselves a disservice when we conflate them and act as though the kingdom of God in the United States is one and the same because it simply is not. And what we end up then doing is spending most of our time and energy on saying, how do we make America look more like the kingdom of God? Instead of saying, how do we as Americans look more and more like Christ? How do we live more and more by the values of that kingdom and let that shape us and let that be our primary identity? And it's very easy to, to rise emotions, to get a rise out of you if we talk about politics. And so uh, likely you, you feel something when we enter into this arena. And yet before you throw your bulletins at me, which would be hard to do, you're far away, you, you, you couldn't get here. Um, I'm very safe, safe distance. Um, uh, or before you cheer me on and say, yes, that's just what I was thinking. Like, hear, hear me out. We need to think biblically. We need to think as Christians about these things and actually let the words of Jesus shape us because uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. Do I want the values of God's kingdom to find birth in our world? Yes, of course I do. do. Do I think that a civil governance is good for our mutual flourishing as a society? Of course I do. Are there things in our world that as a Christian trouble me? Absolutely. And yet, when I see those things, do I think God's kingdom is in trouble? No, I don't. And do I think it is wise for us as the church and as the people of God to spend so much time obsessing over the politics of our nation and thinking as we do, we are being faithful to the primary call upon our lives as Christians? No, I don't. I think we fundamentally miss something as we do when we quest after power and control in such ways. It is, at the very heart of it, conflating these kingdoms. I think when I read the scriptures for us, we have to see our own civil government, if I could be so bold, to be a bit more like Rome than like the kingdom of God. And if we don't, it will be very hard to understand Matthew 22, to understand the words of Jesus to us. Because in Jesus' day, there was no illusion that the kingdom of God and the ruling powers were one and the same. Jesus saw a very clear distinction here between his people called by his name and the governing forces that ruled the world of this day, especially for the Jews in that day. For the Jews in this reading, they were bitterly reminded time and time again that they were a conquered people. They were, they were a people who lived under the oppression of Rome. It's this bitter reminder. And yet in that day also, you had the one group who kind of begrudgingly paid their poll tax, and yet you had another group who wanted to stick it to them and say, they, they were called zealots. The zealots wanted to resist this and say, we will, we will not give in to this oppression. We will not give in to Roman rule over us, and we're going to fight. And so what we read today is these groups trying to uh, entrap, in some ways, entrap Jesus between these two extremes. Because if to this question Jesus says, happily, you should pay your tax, uh, then he's just like the Romans. There's no distinction between the people of God and Rome. Yet on the other hand, if he resists it and he says, don't pay the tax, uh, then he'd be arrested for telling them to break the law. 
And so they think they've got him. They think they've got him trapped in a corner, and yet what does Jesus do? As he so often does, in a single sentence, he finds a middle way. In a single sentence, he breaks through the trap they've set for him, for him. and he says, uh, principally, do not conflate the kingdoms, and he says, most significantly for us, do not misplace your allegiance. Do not misplace your allegiance because they're not meant to be equal. Uh, here's a simple way that I think about that. My daughter, Lillian, our, our oldest child, she was born in Canada. I went to graduate school in Canada, and so she has dual passports. Um, she actually was immediately granted Canadian citizenship by birth, and it took us weeks to make a case for her to be an American. We had to fill out all sorts of paperwork, even though my wife and I are both American. Uh, that took much longer, but eventually she, she had two passports, and we only lived there for about a year after she was born then moved back to the States, and yet for many years, still living in the States, she would always self-identify as Canadian. It was amazing. And it was kind of like a, a badge of honor that she wore. And so if you met her within 60, 90 seconds, it would not be uncommon for her to slip in and let you know that she was Canadian. And yet, I've, I, so I was reflecting on this this week, it's been interesting that I haven't heard her say that in a very long time. She's now 11 years old, and a decade of life in the United States has shaped her. Uh, it's taken its toll. Um, Sounds negative. Uh, it's been wonderful in many ways. Um, it's made her who she is. Um, so much so that those, while she still has two passports, they're not equal. That's what I'm getting at. She would self-identify now more and more increasingly as an American because a decade of life in this country has shaped her. And she still carries that other passport. Uh, we joke about it kind of being our backup plan. You know, if things get you know, too rough here, she can sponsor us and we'll all uh, you know, flee to the great white north. Um, and yet, she's an American. Primarily, that is her identity. She's taken that on as her um, principal way of seeing the world, kind of the lens through which she sees it. Uh, and so she knows where one of those identities ends and where another begins, and she's, she knows they're not the same thing. And when Jesus says, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's, in a way, he's saying you, you do have dual identities. You're not meant to hide under a rock. You're not meant to go into a bunker. When people of a religious disposition go into bunkers, it never works out well. Um, that's always a terrible idea, quite literally or metaphorically. We're not meant to hide as the people of God from the world around us. Pay your taxes. Seek the good of your city. Love your neighbor. But Jesus is saying even if you have dual identities, they're not equal. And one of them is meant to have shaped and informed the type of person you are, so much so that it is the principal way in which you see your place in this world and the place to which you belong. And it's meant to be the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. And so Jesus, I think today, is telling us, quite simply, do not mix up your loyalties. Do not mix up your loyalties. And so uh, as we wrap up, we could go on and on, but as we wrap up, I, I was thinking of Hebrews 13 this week, and there's three verses in, in Hebrews 13 where I think the author of Hebrews speaks to this really beautifully, especially if we say, well, if I'm meant to give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, that's fairly straightforward. Pay your taxes, uh, obey the laws of the land. Um, what do I give to God, though? That's maybe harder to answer. What are the things that I give to God that are God's. And I think Hebrews 13 helps us understand this. Verses 14 to 16 say this. For here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. 
Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We could preach a whole additional sermon on those verses, but I'll just briefly say three things. When you look at it, it's again the same reminder that I'm trying to remind us of today that I think Jesus speaks to in Matthew 22, uh, that we must see our current kingdom for what it is, that it is not eternal. It is not eternal, it is passing away. And if something is passing away and not eternal, it is not worthy of your highest devotion, of your highest loyalty. What is, is that which is eternal. As he says, the city that is to come. And therefore then, with our hearts and our minds and our lives set upon that coming city, in verse 15 it says, to give praise where praise is due. Give praise where praise is due. It's this idea of continually offering to God a sacrifice of praise with your life. And we do that each week. We do that right here, right now, as we worship. And yet it's meant to extend into the whole of your life. And if you come here for an hour on a Sunday and then spend the rest of your week fretting over an election and wringing your hands over the economy or the stock market and then come back for another hour the next Sunday, uh, that is an imbalance. In some ways, that's showing where your principal identity and loyalties lie simply by the concerns of your life, the concerns of your heart. And so the peace that we exchange here liturgically is actually meant to be a symbol of the way we actually live our lives, that whatever else is happening around us, we live as people of peace because we have citizenship in the kingdom of God which will last forever. So even if the kingdoms of this world pass away, we do not fear, but we rest in the hope that we are known and loved and claimed by Christ as citizens of this kingdom. And so Hebrews then tells us, if that is true, not only are we not in trouble, but we're actually quite free to live generous, sacrificial, self-giving lives. It says, give your life away for others. Do it as, in fact, a sign of God's coming kingdom. The way in which, even though there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God breaks in in the most beautiful of ways into the world around us. It's almost a taste of what's to come. And I think we'll close with the prayer we prayed just a few minutes ago because the college for today speaks of that coming kingdom. It's this idea of the glory of our Lord breaking into our world. It's not one and the same. We don't conflate the kingdoms, but God in his kindness, especially to us as his people, gives us a taste of what it's like to live in his kingdom as sons and daughters and then invites us to share that way of life with the world around us. And so what I think we will do is we will, if you can, stand as you're able. And I wanna pray again the collect for today with what I've said in mind, with this primary identity, this primary allegiance and citizenship to our Lord on your hearts and your minds. So we pray, almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Would you remain standing as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed?